Thank you for that entirely unprompted applause. Uh, welcome to the water cooler. Make some noise if you've been to the water cooler before. <laughs> That's fantastic. So in that case, make some noise if this is your first time at the water cooler. Well, welcome to the water cooler. I'm glad you're all in the right place. This is a storytelling podcast. We're recording it live. Um, and we've got a few guests here tonight and we've themed it. The theme is first time slash last time. I am your host, Jen. Hello. And on theme, this is my first time hosting the water cooler. I took over last month as producer from the amazing Alice Bryan and um, proceeded to then just be away for the first show last month, um, where Johnny Potts hosted it, so it was really nice. Um, but tonight we're going to talk about first times and last times and and the connections, I don't know. These, these three are going to t- have taken that theme and are going to tell us some really fun stories. And in between, I'm going to tell you some little bantery things, like the fact that this is my first time hosting the water cooler, but not the first time hosting a show. Uh, I will tell you about one of my first times I did host a show. Uh, I drank two glasses of bubbly wine, which is the the kind that goes to your head much quicker, um, like during the first half of the show. And it wasn't until I was partway through the second glass that I realised that it might not have been a good idea. Um, And I like sort of my gestures were a bit too big and my sentences were a little bit too long. Um, (laughs) And it was a bit exciting. But then at the end of the show, after sort of halftime in the second half and going to notes afterwards, it was an improv show, so we had some notes afterwards. I sort of sat quietly during notes waiting for, um, waiting to be told off, basically. <laughs> sort of going like, yep, so they're going to be like, so Jen, we really need you to drink less. Um, and what instead happened was it got round to the end and the person giving notes went, and Jen, with the emceeing, you know, I think you may be our strongest MC. <laughs> I went, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, and just sort of hid the glasses. Um, so, you know, I've got a glass tonight and uh, I'm sure this is going to go great. Um, but uh, let's, let's, I reckon we just crack into this and get to the first story. What do you reckon? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Thanks, everybody. You're a lovely, you're a lovely warm audience. Um, our first speaker for you tonight is a poet and a gentleman, which means you know which one it is. Um, <laughs> his name is Michael Howard. Please give him a warm uh, round of applause. So welcome. I am ready. I am so fucking ready. Fuck, I am beyond ready. I'm going to walk into this meditation class, head held high, and be mindful as shit. (laughs) I know how this works. You walk in, you sit down, you let your mind chill for a bit, pop a few bucks in the donation bowl, then leave, feeling slightly less caught up in the suffering of our illusory material world and 45 minutes closer to Nirvana. Easy. Stepping inside, I see an instructor seated with a handful of very chill, very quiet vegetarians. Okay, at this point, I don't actually know for sure they're vegetarians, but based on the herbaceous quality of the farts they subsequently produce, I am pretty damn certain they were. Now, just as a further disclaimer, um, I'm actually vegetarian, so I'm not using that pejoratively. Um, You could just tell. I don't think I've ever seen people more relaxed. Shit, the class hasn't even started, and look at them. I am already the most anxious person in the room, and the sight of all these level-headed Wellington liberals simply serves to remind me of the fact. 
Okay, right, no biggie. They probably just haven't had as much coffee as me. Yep, that's it. And then I start to wonder whether the whole course of human history would have been different if the Buddha had been as dependent on espresso as I am. He certainly would have struggled sitting in one place all day and probably would have been grumpier in the mornings too. Anyway, all I have to do for the moment is sit down and do what I'm told. However I'm feeling now won't matter once I get my meditation game on. Oh yeah. I take a seat. The class kicks off with some breathing exercises. Good. I can do this. I'm experienced even. <laughs> Fuck, I do this in my sleep. <laughs> inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. I slip into a rhythm and start getting into the zone. Well, what I presume is the zone. Just as I found my groove though, I'm startled by an announcement from the instructor. Now everyone's feeling relaxed. It's time to begin the first meditation. Ah, yes that thing. The basic premise of the meditation is as follows. Step one, try to get your mind as clear as possible. R worried about your cat's diabetes? Forget it. Have Taylor Swift playing on repeat? Stick her on mute. Daddy issues? Who doesn't? Repress them. <laughs> Step two, realize that actually it's not particularly easy to stop thinking about everything, especially your life's major preoccupations and T-Swizzle's 22. All the more so if you're actively trying not to think of them. Step three, change tack. As you exhale, imagine it's your worries that you're breathing out, and these appear as black smoke coming from your nostrils. As you inhale, envisage bright, sparkling light entering through the same orifice and filling your body. Step four, repeat. I breathe out a large puff of smoke in the shape of my ex-girlfriend. Next, I breathe in some of that sparkly light shit that seems to make our instructor look so contented. I continue for some minutes. Soon enough, I'm surrounded by a thick charcoal cloud. I briefly consider the possibility that the room might be fitted with smoke detectors. The cloud grows. I carry on regardless. Despite the venture quickly taking on an air of productivity, a creeping suspicion has made it into my thoughts. If I'm sitting here, constantly breathing out my anxieties, won't there come a point where I've got rid of all the important shit on my mind? And once I've achieved that, how can I be sure I'm not just dredging hang-ups from my past in a counterproductive attempt to feel more at peace with myself? The cloud balloons. Fortunately, the instructor interrupts here and ends the exercise before I can travel too far along this train of thought. On to meditation number two. We're informed that for this meditation, we need to focus solely on our breathing. How original. We should direct our attention to the passage of air flowing in through our noses, deep into our lungs and out through our noses again. In through the nose, out through the nose. In through the nose, out through the nose. In through the... The instructor stops and laughs. Apparently, this is the meditation where everybody ends up scratching their noses because she's mentioned the word so often. Well, thanks a fucking bunch. If my nose wasn't itchy before, it damn well is now. At no stage on your road to enlightenment has it occurred to you that the only thing that makes people want to scratch their noses more than talking about noses is talking about the inappropriateness of nose scratching. In fact, I'm pretty sure one of Buddha's teachings specifically addressed this issue. 
I begin to question our instructor's credentials. And I mean, what is this obsession with breathing anyway? I'm already mindful of the fact I'm doing it. Recognising you're alive necessarily entails recognising your body's performing all the requisite tasks for life. This class is making me feel like a bloody paramedic. Is he upright? Is he relaxed? Is he breathing? Of course he's fucking breathing. He's the one asking all the questions. Okay, okay, okay. I am getting too caught up in things. Obviously, this is just my ego attempting to justify its constant scheming and posturing in the context of an unfamiliar situation. Christ, it's things like this that made me come to the class in the first place. But hold on. Even if this class were to go perfectly for me, I'd still be giving my ego a big old back rub. I'd feel as if I was on some path of self-improvement, which in some way distinguished me from the rest of humanity's from the rest of humanity's unreflective plebs. What's more, I could easily get into the routine of coming to these meditation classes every week, much like Fadi Frank over here, and get my spiritual kick without needing to seriously turn my life around. In other words, whether I aim to be a good person or not, my ego is going to wriggle its self-aggrandizing backside into my thinking and try to convince me that I'm the cat's Peter Alexander's anyway. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. I am now convinced I have missed the point of the class. I really haven't paid attention to my breathing in the last 20 minutes. The only things I have noted are one, someone in this room has serious sinus problems. Two, an unfortunate side effect of closing your eyes for this long is the acute imp improvement in your sense of smell. Three, my nose is still itchy as fuck. And four, my deep-set ego-driven neuroses have just cost me $6 and a full lunch hour. I make, one, I make one final attempt to focus on my nasal sensations before the class finishes. It fails. Defeated, I get up to leave, but before I can make a quick escape, I remember I haven't paid. Shit. I've only got a 20, and the one way to get change is by queuing up to see the instructor. Why is everyone here so keen to talk afterwards? Has that whole hour of not speaking really made you this desperate for human interaction? Anyway, eventually, the class disperses, and it's just the two of us standing in the room. Hi, I don't think I've seen you here before. I'm guessing this is your first time, yeah? How did you find the class? I take a deep breath. <laughs> Michael Howard. If you would like to hear Michael rhyme, um, <laughs> you can check out Howard Poetry, which is his Facebook page where he puts up poems and things like that. Is that right? Yeah. I can't tell. Are you smoking? <laughs> this is like, yeah. Um, you won't get that on the podcast. It's fine. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, the last time that I climbed a mountain for the first time, because I, I can't remember if I did it more than once. So my family, um, my grandparents uh, used to live in, um, what is it called, in Taranaki, near Mount Egmont, or Mount Taranaki. They called it Egmont because they were white farmers. Um <laughs> which I would be if my family had stayed there. Uh, but we, uh, when I was about 11, my dad took me and a friend of mine and his, and his dad, we went and climbed Mount Taranaki at age 11. And it was really hard. <laughs> um, uh, but I, like in hindsight, like, like at the time, like I didn't have a great time climbing a mountain 
and you're not the sporty one of the family, like, is, is a tough time. I climbed a mountain. I think I remember stopping, like, you go bushwalk and then scoria, which is gravel, and then, like, rock climbing, and then you're at the top. And we were sort of partway up the rock climbing bit, and I sat down and just refused to move. Um, <laughs> Which And my dad uh, bribed me for quite some time to get moving and I was offered $10, a burger, I think a movie. I can't remember. And then I finally agreed, but also I thought that I was getting all of those things. I didn't get any of them. Um, uh, and we got to the top and it was great and then we went back down again. And uh, I climbed a mountain and that's pretty awesome to have done. But it's not quite as awesome as what my dad did because when we got home, my eight-year-old sister was furious that she had been left behind and so two days later, as in dad had one day of rest and then got up the next day, he told mum, don't worry, we'll go as far until she gets tired. She's eight. And then we'll come back down. She did not get tired. <laughs> she was way into it. And they and my dad climbed Mount Taranaki twice in three days. <laughs> so good job, Ross Mason. That is some quality dading. <laughs> I'm very proud of him. He's a good dad. And he's probably going to listen to this and he's going to think I said that on purpose. And I kind of did, but I kind of didn't. So <laughs> watch it, Dad. Um, all right, it's time for your second speaker. How exciting is that? Uh, your second speaker is also a poet. You're also a poet, right? I am. You're a poet, a writer. You have a, you have a qualification yeah. on poetry from the International Institute of Modern Letters. You can also, like, like poetry's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, it's not... <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, and you're an improviser and you're an awesome babe and one of my good friends. This, uh, please welcome Freya Daly-Sagrove. I get mad. Everyone gets mad. I'm just a normal girl who gets normally mad. There are all sorts of things that might make a person mad these days. If you feel like getting mad, you can take your pick of targets to work your rage out on. Lots of people choose bigots. I think that's a great choice. <laughs> bigots are cunts. <laughs> a lot of people pick their ba battles with entitled little bitch, little fucking cricket playing nasty little white boys who don't give a shit about women. <laughs> or celebrated rugby stars who don't give a shit about women. I can get behind that. <laughs> Except that I sort of can't. Um, once upon a time, I was a little bitch. <laughs> a real uptight, little smug, little fuck. This was a time when I very rarely expressed my rage. I'd learnt that I mostly couldn't do it without crying. And no one ever apologised for hurting my feelings anyway. Quite early on in life, I was in the habit of retreating to my room if anything ever started to make me angry. Arguing just made me tired. Yelling just made me cry. So if I ever got upset, I just swallowed it all and went to bed. <laughs> it's a textbook case of bottling things up, and it's had one or two consequences for me lately, but for years it seemed to be working a charm. <laughs> I, was, I was a good girl, and people liked me. I deflected bad feelings. But there was this one time. <laughs> There's a guy called Jared, okay? And at the time this happened, he'd been getting up my nose for years. He was up there so far, he was basically touching my brain. Like, just prodding it. <laughs> over and over. 
I was a little girl when I met Jared. I think I was seven. He was a few years older than me, and he was loosely related to me on my mum's side. The first time he spoke to me, I'd just been telling everyone about my cool new outfit from Pumpkin Patch, um, (laughs) which I was wearing at the time. It was a purple and white check t-shirt and capris um, with little ties at the cuffs. All four cuffs. <laughs> Just as I was about to finish telling my story about going to Capital Gateway with my mum and my sister to buy it, he said very loudly, why did you go to school in your pyjamas? I mean, it wasn't a great story. I realised as everyone was screaming with laughter that it was fair enough that he hadn't really listened. I just went a bit red and sat down. But I wasn't phased for long. I've always been completely desperate for attention. And when I was a kid, this manifested as me just running my mouth off any time I could for as long as I could. Jared watched and listened for a bit. And when everyone dispersed, I was standing on a rocking chair. I'd been doing tricks like a little circus pony, but a lot less impressive. People had been giving me the time of day about it for longer than I deserved. But now they'd all left, and Jared and I were the only two left in the room. He was almost as tall as I was on top of the rocking chair. He looked at me, and he raised his eyebrows, and he said, You think everyone loves you, don't you? When I was seven, I really didn't mind myself. It had never occurred to me before that point that I might have a bad personality. I'd been called an attention seeker by my sister and her friends a couple of times, which usually made me cry a bit and run off to mum or dad, which only made my sister and her friends go, see? Um, But I didn't exactly understand what they meant. And besides, they still laughed when I clowned around for them. But when I was stuck on the rocking chair with Jared, just standing there looking at me, just watching his words sink in to seven-year-old me, I felt this profound, crushing shame, like quite serious self-disgust. He had me completely pegged. No one had ever seen through me like that and let me know about it before. And I didn't think to be angry with him at the time. All I thought was that, of course, he was right. And I'd been so stupid to have never even entertained the possibility that maybe not everyone did love me. Maybe everyone hated me. He walked out of the room and I just stayed standing on the rocking chair for a while. When I got down, I did it very carefully. There was no showmanship. It didn't matter, though, because no one else was in the room. Jared was around quite a bit after that. I tried to be especially nice and polite to him and not show off too much when he was around, but it didn't always work. I was a reasonably boisterous child. I'd often get kind of hyperactive and hysterical. This still happens to me sometimes, and it can be pretty annoying for everyone around me. I'm very sorry. But when I was 11, Jared found a very effective way of stopping me in my tracks. He trapped me while I was rolling around on the floor one day by standing on my hair. It was pretty long at the time and I always wore it loose. He got some other kids to join in and tickle me and they were all laughing and screeching like it was a fun game. But I couldn't move without ripping my hair out. So, um, and he held me there for 10 minutes and eventually they let me go and I ran away to the loose and had a big cry. Crisis averted. Um, once when I was 13, I forgot to flush the loo and Jared went in after me. He didn't say anything, but when I next went into the bathroom, I found post-its in his handwriting everywhere on the mirror and beside the toilet and next to the sink. Like, have you washed your hands, Freya? Have you showered today? 
are you wearing deodorant? Um, yeah. When I was 16, I let him stay in my room while I was at my dad's house for a week. Why? Um, I did. I'm a kind, kind girl. Um, when I came back, he'd made my bed and he'd left my room tidy, but like a lot more tidy than usual. It was just totally blank. And sitting in the middle of the floor was this blue plastic crate, which he'd filled with all my loose possessions. He'd just, just taken everything that had been on my desk or on my bedside table or stuck to the walls, just like books and pen pots and little trinkets and toys and decorations, even my glow-in-the-dark stars, and just chucked it all in the crate. It was like the room had just been wiped just clean of my presence. A couple of years ago, I had to go home and live with my mum for a while because I was super depressed and I couldn't look after myself properly. Jared was living there too at the time. There was a week where I had my period and I'd just been wrapping my tamps in loo paper, you know, shoving them inside toilet rolls and just putting them in the bin in the bathroom as you do, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Um, three days into my period, I received the following text. It was from Jared. <clears throat> Freya, I am not the person to discuss this with you. My apologies for resorting to text. I suggest you go into the bathroom and pick up the rubbish bin, open the lid, and breathe in. Now, I don't know who normally cleans up after you, but please do not be under any misunderstanding that leaving this for others is acceptable. Please remove it before the rubbish goes out tomorrow and disinfect the bin outside. Please do not do this again. Capiche? I took the bin outside when I got home and disinfected it. I'm 23 now. I'm a lot better at expressing my emotions than I was as a child and as a teenager. Everyone who knows me now knows that I'm a depressive and people are pretty gentle with me about it. But a lot of people who know me don't know how deeply, deeply angry I am. I'm really angry. Dangerous person. I'm not, I know, I'm not. But it's like anger's not really a socially acceptable emotion. I feel quite free to cry in almost any situation now, and I don't worry about being judged for it. But I don't feel that same freedom about anger. I don't feel that freedom about rage. But there was this one time when I cracked. I'd been in the car with Mum and Jared. Jared is a backseat driver, except from the front passenger seat. He'd been coaching Mum through a three-point turn. (laughs) Mum knows how to do a three-point turn. She's a 53-year-old woman. (laughs) When we got out of the car, Jared reached over and patted my mum on the head. So I cracked... I'd never expressed my rage like this before, let alone in front of a crowd of people, which I was. Jared, I said. Jared, listen to me, you absolute fuck. You fucking cunt of a man. If you ever do anything like that again, I'm going to grab your face and just pull it into the gutter and stamp the shit out of it. You're a terrible, cruel human being. The world is worse having you in it. I can't fucking wait to fucking dance on your fucking grave. Just a mad girl. Just a mad girl like all the other girls. Fuck you. Peace out.
I feel like I speak for all of us when I say, good on you. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, so your, um, your story actually reminded me of another first time that I have. Uh, it was the part of having your hair stood on. I know, that's, it's awful. And I did it um, for fun because uh, uh, anyone who's ever spoken to me, this is something I tell people, I used to be a pro wrestler. <laughs> Clearly, look at me. Um, and uh, I used to, but, but for a long time I was just a valet, which is just the, you know, it was me and another girl and we were the, um, we were the valets for a guy who wrestled and we would just come out and we were all bad guys, so we would come out and interfere in the match and slap the referee around and choke the other person, but you know, it's all staged, of course. Um, it'd be good to tell some of the children who watched it, though, because they thought it was real and would yell obscenities at me. Um, <laughs> It's nothing like having like 12 year old children yell crack whore at you. It was just like, we just sort of like, we we're like, we're in character, we're in character. What did that kid just say? Holy crap. Um, but uh, it's, this was back in 2008, 2007, 2008. Um, and in 2008, I went on my OE and uh, told, um, told the company, hey, I'm going overseas. And they said, well, you'll have to have a match. <laughs> I was like, I have never trained any of these moves. Is this a good idea? And they were like, it'll be great. Don't worry, you can practice. And so me and Holly, uh, we, we created some drama between us, which was that both of us were jealous of the other because of Johnny, because of course it's wrestling. It's a really strong narrative. Um, <laughs> and we manufactured this, this rivalry and then we made it a loser leaves town match. So we were going to have a match and whoever lost had to leave KPW and the city. Very dramatic. And she and Holly went around telling her friends that she was moving to Auckland just so that they wouldn't know because you've got to maintain that illusion, you know. Um, and it was amazing. And then we practiced this whole match and, and then we just did it. And I, I had about 15 kilos on Holly, so I was clearly the one that was doing the power moves. Um, and I did things like, uh, I, um, I, the best thing I did was I picked her up and gave her a backbreaker, which looks amazing. It's very simple. Um, oh, but the other amazing thing that I did was that I gave her, I threw her out of the ring at one point and she flung herself so violently, she gave herself a hematoma. Um, which I was like shocked by, but also really impressed. Like I was like, ooh. <laughs> um, and then at the end of the match, uh, I took my first and only ever frog splash, which if you've ever watched wrestling is a move where the person climbs up on the, cor the corner turnbuckle and jumps and like they sort of do this frog thing where they bring their elbows and their knees together like a little, like a little frog and then they splash on top of you. Um, and I received that move. Um, uh, and I lost the match. So he interfered, I lost the match, it was very dramatic and, um, and then I went overseas for a year and that's the first time I ever had a wrestling match. And if you would like to look it up on the internet, because it's there, um, should you just make it just go, <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to look it up, just Google KPW Diva Strap Match. Um, and uh, it's a st uh, what makes it a strap match in, in that we have like this pink belt that we hit each other with. The, it's, it's this whole big thing. Um, later on, I had a few more matches. Um, my last ever match was a... Uh, 
I believe it was a battle royal with eight women uh, fighting for the soon-to-be-established women's championship. So we had a women's bout, which was pretty exciting. Um, but because I was completely out of practice, uh, the narrative we came up with was that all eight of us got in the ring and me and Holly were like the main baddies. Um, so we all got in the ring and we're all sort of like going, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And immediately like three of the other women, as soon as the bell rings, three of the other women threw Holly out of the ring. And so she was eliminated straight away because you had to get thrown over the top rope and then you're out. Um, so she gets thrown out. And then I sort of look at the other six women who have all turned to me, like giving me the evil eye. And I just go, oh, it's fine. You go. And I just real casually like climbed out of the ring. It's <laughs> like climb out going, it's fine. Have a great time, girls. Um, and then walked around and sat at the announcer table because like running my mouth is much easier than wrestling. So I just sat at the announce table going, oh, this is a terrible match. None of them really good. And I just like eliminated myself. Um, and that was the last wrestling show I took part in. Um, I believe Nurse Payne won the championship. Uh, a delightful tiny blonde woman called Nurse Payne, uh, which was a great time. So that's my illustrious wrestling career. And I think it's time for our final speaker. We are just cracking through this, but I feel like good games are fast games. So you know what? That's fine. Uh, our final speaker is, how would I describe you? A performer? A yogi? Yeah. Do you call yourself a yogi? Uh, um, a clown sometimes? And you have a show coming up at BATS. And um, we'll, we'll plug it in a moment. But yeah, it'll be great. Um, yeah, do it. Do it at the end. Yeah. Uh, please welcome your last speaker, Jess Bryan. Hi, yeah, so um, I have a show coming up at BATS. It's called Coriander's Yoga-ish Show. Um, it's on the 24th to the 27th of August. Um, it's this month. I'm sure you can all make it. So it'd be really great if you could come. It'd be great to see you all there. Okay. Um, <laughs> shameless self-promotion. And it's recorded for the rest of the forever. Um so, yeah, I, I, I have this character called Coriander, Randy for short. And um, she's an over-the-top yoga teacher. She's quite eccentric. Um, but as well as being this over-the-top character, I am actually a, a fully qualified 200-hour yoga instructor, um, which is actually quite cool. I really love teaching yoga. Um, I taught two classes just before coming here, and I just feel like I took all of their day and now I've got all this energy so I'm a bit hyperactive but we'll, we'll move through that and so I'm this 200 hour yoga teacher but what they don't tell you when you're doing your yoga teacher training is that it's 200 hours but then there's actually like a hundred thousand other hours that you have to cram into the two months that you're doing these 200 hours and so if, just in case anybody's interested I've divided those hundred million other thousand hours into three so the first third of your extra hours is pretty obvious you're practicing, you're rehearsing. It's basically the most giant script I've ever had to learn in my whole entire life. And you're, you're learning how to cue these people into these poses that, I mean, ultimately could hurt them. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's number one. And then the second third is... Um, what is the second third? The second third is you just basically lying in your bed in the sixes in the morning and you're just so upset that you have to be 
at class at 7.30am. I actually forgot that that time of the morning existed. And you're lying in bed and you just hate everything and you know that you have to be at class at 7.30 to do 108 sun salutations. And now I'm not sure if you know what a sun salutation looks like, but it's hard work. Like there's high plank to low plank. It's a lot of work. And we actually did 108 of those one day. And then the third third is you spending extra time at night stressing about what you're going to take for lunch the next day. (laughs) Because... A lot of the teacher trainees in my class were gluten-free, vegetarian, uh, dairy-free, sugar-free. That was a big one. That was a big craze. And if anyone knows me, they'll know that sugar is like a whole other food group for me. I eat a lot of sugar. And so I I actually got quite anxious about what I was going to take for lunch the next day. But that really wasn't as anxious as I got for the first day of yoga teacher training. And I just had this idea that everybody would have their life quite together in the room and like just to give you a bit of context I just moved to Wellington and like Cafe Ice doesn't exist in the South Island well it didn't when I lived in Christchurch and so the day before the first day of yoga teacher training I went to Cafe Ice and I bought the $9.50 or something uh, take home pack and then I also bought like a single scoop to eat on the way home to then go and eat my at home pack And so that's kind of where I was with life. Like, I obviously had quite a disposable income to spend that much money on ice cream for one sitting. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, we get to the day one of yoga teacher training. And I'm so I'm quite nervous. But we get there. It's really beautiful. There's candles. We're welcomed in. It's really lovely. The first night was just two hours. And it's all going pretty fine. And we get the... We get the introductions, we find out what's going to happen for the next, like, 198 hours, and then shit hits the fan, basically, an hour into the, the, the night, and I need to go to the toilet. And, like, it was fine, it was, it was okay, like, I, I left, we, we got separated into groups, and we had to talk through, like, the homework that we had been given before the class started. And I go to the toilet, everything's fine, there's toilet paper, there's soap, I wash my hands, everything's going great. And I, I leave the toilet, um, like, the, the bathroom, and it's in the stairwell, and then I, I open the door to try and get into the corridor to get back into the room, and I'm locked out. I'm lo- I can't get back into the room. And the first thing that goes into my head is, holy, like, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm taking a shit. On the first night of yoga teacher training, they're going to go, this girl, like, took a poo. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I go into survival mode, and... Um, I decide I'm going to walk down to the lobby and then catch the lift back up and then no one will know. And so I walk down 15 storeys, so like 30 flights of stairs, and I'm really bad at stairs. And I walk all the way down and then I'm like, cool, like puffing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to catch the lift and the lift is locked. I can't get to level 15. So I'm like... Oh, for fuck's sake. Like, that's all that goes through my head. And so I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have to walk up the 15 stories again. 
And so I, I go and I leave the lift and then I realise that I've locked myself out of the stairwell. And so I'm just locked down in the lobby. And in hindsight, it's actually quite dramatic, this next part. I promise it's actually true. Um, but I, was, I convinced myself that I was going to die. I, I really don't know why I did that. It's, it is a bit dramatic. But I, I, was, I was convinced... I was convinced that I was going to have to eat my own arm like the guy on that movie. And I'm pacing up and down this corridor and I'm saying like the best monologue I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Like it's vocal mapped. It is so good. And I'm walking up and down and I'm like, great, you're going to die. You're not even a yoga teacher and you die. Like you don't, you die not knowing if you're a yoga teacher. That's great. And I'm, I'm pacing up and down. I'm not wearing any shoes because yoga, so I was bare feet. And I'm not wearing a jacket. It's the middle of winter. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, I could leave the lobby and I could go and find someone that has a phone and then ring someone and try and get back up. But I can't even remember the name of the people that are taking the course. Like, I don't know their, their numbers. So I don't, I'm, I'm really doomed. So I'm, I'm pacing up and down. So I've been out here for about 25 minutes now. And then all of a sudden, these two guys walk in. And I'm just like the light shines down, there's hope. And it's a pretty rash generalisation, but I think that one guy was like the father and one guy was the son. And so they're here, they're here to clean level 13. And so I'm like, oh my God, can you please get me to level 15? And I'm hysterical, I'm probably crying. And we're like, oh my God, like, can you get me to level 15? And so they try, but they can't because their swipe card doesn't work. But they're like, we could get you to level 13. And I'm like, okay, brilliant. And so I get to level 13 and I've told them the whole story and they're quite intrigued about this crazy woman in front of them. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just walk up the two stories. That's doable. And so these two guys decide to come with me. Like, they're just such gentlemen. It's so lovely. And we walk up, but... um. The guy who I'm assuming is the father, he's quite immobile, so it took us about like four minutes to walk up these stairs, and we're just going really slowly, and we get there, and I'm like, hang on, I don't, I don't recognise any of this, this doesn't seem familiar, and it turns out I'm on the wrong side of the building, and so I'm like, shit, okay, so we walk down the stairs, takes like another four minutes, so I've been trapped out for like 40 minutes so far, and bless these two uh, gentlemen, they go, oh, we might just leave you now. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's fine. So I run around to the other side of the building and I walk up the stairs. And I'm walking up the stairs and I see this lady and it's Maria and she owns Hot Yoga Wellington. And I'm just like, oh my God, a human. I, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And she's looking at me and she's grumpy. And it's like, it's like she just. It's like I was bunking or something. Like, she was really grumpy. And I was like, um, hi. Like, I've just been trapped out here for, like, 45 minutes. Uh, why did nobody come and get me? Like, I've been going crazy out here. And she's like, what are you talking about? And then I'm like, no, like, the door is locked. And then she shuts the door. And so we're both trapped out here. <laughs> And she, and like she, I think she was looking at me quite grumpy because she just really needed to go to the toilet. And then next minute, she's like, she forgets that she needs to go to the toilet. And she's just start like fucking pounding on this door. She is like, oh, and she's yelling. And, and so 
Finally, this, this other lady comes and le- opens up the door. And so I walk in. So it's been about 50 minutes that I've been out in the cold. And I walk in and um, I'm panting, I'm hysterical, I'm crying, I'm laughing, I'm feeling every emotion a person could possibly feel. And I walk in and everyone's sitting in a circle meditating. <laughs> And um, it's dark and it's a really beautiful moment, but I don't actually care. So I am like, guys, this is what's just happened to me. And I tell the whole story. And then uh, they're all just sort of like, what is this person doing? And then I look into the middle of the circle and they're literally sitting in a circle around all of my stuff. Like my shoes, my glasses, my notepad, my phone, like everything is like in the middle of their meditation circle. And I'm like, why did nobody even think, oh, whose stuff is that? Well, that's a bit rude. They didn't move it. Like... <laughs> and so then from that day onwards, we had to get a buddy. And so... Um... <laughs> Because the instructors were so worried that somebody else was going to get locked out and, and go, when they go to the toilet. And then what's ironic is that there was an odd number and I didn't actually have a buddy. And, and so I had to look after myself and I don't really have my life together, like I said before. And so it was quite a big quite a big thing so a couple of months later we were just about to graduate and I was ready to laugh about this situation so we were just reminiscing one day over gluten-free sugar-free lunch and um this guy and I I I just said to these people I was like I just don't understand how nobody realized that I was missing like it's me like surely you were like where's that girl (laughs) And one guy, one guy, he actually said to me, he's like, oh no, like I knew you were gone. I just saw that you were taking a shit. (laughs) Thank you so much. I feel like we've experienced a range of emotions this evening. And I'm really happy about all of them. Um, Thank you all so much for coming to The Water Cooler. Uh, Big round of applause once more for Michael Howard. Freya Daly-Sagrove and Jess Bryan. Um, And a quick round of applause for Ollie on the the recording button over there. The Water Cooler is on monthly. We've got another show next month, then we'll be confirming the dates for the rest of the year. But if you want to listen to past episodes, visit thewatercooler.co.nz or find us on Facebook. And it would be really lovely to see you at some more shows. Um, Thank you so much for coming. Good night.